There will be no funny stuff today on Bible Study Podcasts. No funny stuff at all. Not today. Yeah, right. Okay, who sped up the music, right? Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to BibleStudyPodcast.org. Today is Saturday, October the 4th of 2008, and I'm your host, Toby Logsdon. And of course, today being a Saturday would mean that we're doing a question and answer lesson. So God bless you guys, and thank you for joining. I hope you guys have had a fantastic week. We've had a good week here. Uh, Obviously, we've been extremely busy with uh, getting our house ready to be sold and everything. Um... We are under contract, and we've agreed to do all the repairs that were necessary. The expenses to get it fixed weren't as high as we were afraid of. Turns out that our inspector, when we bought our house, uh, missed a few very major things uh, down underneath our house, in the foundation of our house. And so while that is a little bit uh, disturbing for us, uh, it's not going to cost an arm and a leg to get it fixed. It's just going to cost us an arm. No, not really. It's, it's, you know, it's it's an expense, but it's something that we can handle. But anyway, hope you guys are having a fantastic week. I want to make a, one quick announcement, and that is that we have stickers available. The stickers that I've been telling you guys about, the clear window stickers. So if you want some of those, go ahead and email me at cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com, and you can definitely get your hands on them. And if you make a tax-deductible donation to Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries this month, you'll also get a copy of Defending the Trinity Against the Oneness Pentecostal Cult, our latest booklet here on BibleStudyPodcast.org. So anyway, if that's something that you'd like to do, you can make a tax-deductible donation to our ministry by going to BibleStudyPodcast.org, and over on the right-hand side, there is a donate link, and you can make your tax-deductible donation from there. So anyway, I also want to welcome Christina. She's here to read our questions today, and let's go ahead and get started. What do we have for our first question today, Christina? Okay, our first question today comes from Claire. Claire writes, My question may be hard for you to answer, as it is about a specific church which you probably know nothing about, as it is a local church of mine. It is called Jordan Victory Church, and its website is www.teamjvc.org. My question is about the teaching of this church, and recently a friend of mine attended this church, and some members of the church gave him a note saying stuff about how he felt and how it was going to get better, which they said was from God. I am relatively new to my faith and wanted to know if this was really words from God. I am very weary of this church, and its nickname within the community is The Cult on the Hill. Please answer my question as my friend has now left their own church and is attending what is commonly known as JVC. Well, thank you for that question. Uh, that's a great question, Claire. So thank you for sending that in. I really enjoy getting unique questions that are you know, kind of unlike anything we've uh, ever seen or heard on here before or anything we've answered on here before. So I would say that this question really boils down to uh, this question, you know, what types of things should we look for on a church's 
website. Now, you want to keep in mind that there are really no right or wrong answers here. Some churches want their websites to be as general as possible uh, because they feel that being somewhat general makes the website easier to navigate. Uh, on the other hand, you know, some church websites are going to be totally bogged down with information and are thus very difficult to navigate uh, because they feel like they need to put all this information out there to talk about who they are or, you know, whatever. But, you know, I think it's best for a church to have a good balance in which they aren't completely you know, leaving out the important things like a doctrinal statement, but they're not, uh, you know, they're not filled with just unimportant things, things that don't really matter. But either way, every church website should have a doctrinal statement. There are absolutely no excuses as far as that's concerned. Every church needs to have a doctrinal statement on their website. If you've got a website, it's no big deal. It's no trouble for a church to put their doctrinal statement on there. At least something. You don't have to put the the whole thing. It doesn't have to be comprehensive. Just something up there. But, you know, churches without doctrinal statements, for for me anyway, they completely raise a red flag right away. So, uh, in the case of the church in question here, they launched their church website less than a year ago, according to their website. So, it may still be in the process of being built. So, uh, you know, at the beginning here, when I first started looking at this, I kind of gave them the benefit of the doubt. So, um, you know, I, I looked at the website, I couldn't find a doctrinal statement, but like I said, uh, I would give them the benefit of the doubt because it's a fairly new website. So what I did was I emailed the church through the contact us link, which is, uh, yet another thing that every church website, uh, must have. And I asked them to send me a copy of their doctrinal statement or to direct me toward their doctrinal statement if it was somewhere on the uh, the website that I wasn't seeing. So I got a pretty prompt response uh, from them. It was within 12 hours, and, you know, that's a good sign. They told me that the doctrinal statement is actually found under the Sundays at JVC link, which, uh, you know, if you scroll over the JVC church section, you know, kind of toward the top left side of the homepage, if you scroll over that, you'll see a link to Sundays at JVC. And if you click on that, uh, that's where the doctrinal statement is. Now, on a side note, uh, I think that's a really horrible place to have a doctrinal statement because it's not an obvious place to find it. Again, however, you know, I would, uh, I'd give them the benefit of the doubt. I don't think they're trying to hide it or anything. It's just maybe poorly designed as far as that's concerned. But so anyway, here we go. We're looking at the, the doctrinal statement for the church um, under Sundays at JVC. So let's take a look at what it says. First of all, it says, We accept the Bible as the inspired Word of God, our authoritative guide in all aspects of faith and practice. Okay, uh, doctrinally speaking, that is sound. Uh, That's what we believe, too. If you listen to our series on the essentials, uh, you know, that's basically what we believe. So, so far, so good. And then next, the, the second point, it says, We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a little bit vague, if you ask me. Although, uh, on the surface, it's it's acceptable. It's just vague. Uh, I personally think that it's important to include something about the triunity of God or the fact that God is uh, three persons who are of one substance. But uh, honestly, uh, you know, I, I know my downfall. <laughs> I'm more of a stickler about things like that than the average person is. So we'll say that this is fine for now. Uh, that it says that they believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, the third point in their doctrinal statement is, quote, We affirm the need for a personal relationship with God. This is made possible by the work of Christ and is appropriated through repentance, faith, baptism in water, and receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, 
At this point, all I can see are red flags flying up everywhere, because this is saying that we can't enter into a relationship with God unless we repent, unless we have faith, get baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit. However, you know, one can't repent, and one cannot get baptized unless they have faith, and as a result, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, baptism is an outward expression of an inward experience. It is not necessary for salvation. Salvation, which is the act of entering into a personal relationship with God, salvation comes before baptism, not as a result of baptism. The process of justification, if if you just want to know the process of justification, it goes something like this. God draws a person through the Holy Spirit, because a person can only come to, uh, to faith in God Uh, if they're drawn by the Holy Spirit. So the first thing that happens is God draws a person through the Holy Spirit. The person responds in faith, and the person receives the Holy Spirit immediately upon believing. So at this point, the person is in a personal relationship with God. A person who is not in a personal relationship with God can't repent. So that can't be prior to entering into this relationship with God. And thus repenting can't be a requirement for having this relationship with God, for having salvation. Uh, and I would also say that this church sounds very much like they could be part of the, the Oneness Pentecostal cult. It does say at the bottom of, uh, of this little list that it's not a comprehensive doctrinal statement, but you know I wouldn't need to read it any further anyway. This church is uh, theologically questionable at the very best, and it sounds like they have a total misunderstanding of the gospel. Uh, you know, whether it's a cult or not, it, it's still hard to say. They definitely uh, are looking at a works-based salvation. I don't believe they understand what the gospel is. Uh, I probably would not recommend going to that church. So, um, you know, I would need to just know more about them as far as their positions on the Trinity and uh, their their understanding of the gospel. Because just taking what they say here about the gospel, I would say they are completely out in left field chasing butterflies and looking at the clouds. But anyway, thank you so much for the question, Claire. That's a really good question, and I hope that clears it up for you. So if uh, if you need any clarification or if you have any other questions, you know, feel free to email me at cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. But God bless you, Claire. Thank you for that question. Christina, what do we have for our next question? Okay, our next question comes from Stephen. Stephen writes, I have been going through your podcast, and there are some things I don't understand. In one of your Q&A podcasts, you said that if, for instance, a mass murderer repented and turned to Jesus, he could still go to heaven. My problem is, isn't there still some kind of judgment for this man? And also, what if we, being the best Christians we can possibly be, being tempted we still sin, isn't there some kind of judgment when we get to heaven? And if so, what kind of punishment should we expect? Well, thank you for that question, Stephen. That's a good question. This is something that I think uh, probably all Christians struggle with at some point or another from you know the point they become a Christian to uh, you know throughout their lives. This is a question that we all struggle with. I know that I used to struggle with the very same issue. It just doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem just that a person who is guilty of murder, uh, literal, physical murder, would not face some sort of punishment by God for his actions. But then we turn to Romans chapter 8 verse 1, which is just another one of those passages that someday we're going to get to in our Roman study. Uh, you know, give me seven or eight more years and I should be there, right? Uh, I'm, I'm kidding. But, uh, but, you know, here we read, therefore, there is now no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation, no condemnation for anyone who is in Christ Jesus. Who's in Christ Jesus? Those who have accepted him by putting their faith in him. Now, when you bring this whole question up, people will sometimes respond by referring to 1 Corinthians 3.15, where we read, quote, If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. And that definitely sounds like judgment, right? So the, the argument is that this is God judging us for our works. But that's clearly not the case. In its context, when we look at this verse in its context, we see that this is actually referring to God judging the works of Bible teachers or uh, religious instructors. It's not about believers themselves being judged or Bible teachers themselves, just their works uh, as Bible teachers. So this is only referring to the fact that if a Bible teacher isn't teaching the truth, he will suffer loss, according to this verse. Now, what kind of loss uh, will they suffer? Well, first of all, loss of time, for one thing. You know, if we spend our time teaching junk or, you know, teaching something false, it's a waste or a loss of our time. It's time that we could have been spending teaching the truth, but we didn't for some reason. Secondly, it's a loss of perceived achievement. And I say that it's perceived achievement because while what they have built through their teachings might appear to be great, God will reveal that they have actually achieved absolutely nothing if they have taught false doctrine. So again, Romans chapter 8 verse 1 assures us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Even if a Bible teacher has their faith in Christ, but believes a whole bunch of junk, you know, puts a bunch of junk on it, that stuff's all going to get burned up. But he himself will be saved, according to that verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15. And something else to keep in mind is that the person who commits murder, like literal physical murder, is actually no different in God's eyes from the person who commits murder in their heart by holding hostility toward another person. And we also know from James chapter 2, verse 10, that whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of all. In other words, if a person upholds almost the whole law, uh, but they're guilty of breaking, you know, just one part, they're actually guilty of breaking the whole law, including the law forbidding murder. And I'll tell you what type of judgment a person does have to face if they murder. If a person commits murder and then later becomes a Christian, or if a Christian commits murder after having become a Christian, that person faces the judgment of their own conscience for the rest of their life. And that's something that, well, for me, you know, that I personally would, I'd never want to live with that. I can't imagine a worse judgment than having to wake up every day and face the reality that I took somebody else's life. You know, I would consider this to be a punishment of sorts, but as far as God's concerned, we can know for sure that there will be no judgment uh, poured out on us because when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ because we're in Christ Jesus. And there very well could be a loss of rewards in heaven uh, for a person who commits murder, maybe after becoming a Christian, but there is no chance of any condemnation from God upon his people. If you are a Christian and you commit murder, or if you are a murderer and then you become a Christian, there is no condemnation. You can go to heaven, but you might lose some rewards when you get there. But thank you for the question, Stephen. I hope that uh, that clears it up for you. Anyway, we've got time for one more question. Christina, what do we have for our last question today? 
Okay, our final question comes from our node. He writes, I am seriously considering becoming a Freemason. Being French, I know that there has always been some kind of antagonism between the order and the church. Is this still the case? Is there any reason preventing me from joining the order while keeping my faith and my obedience to the church? Well, thank you for sending that question in, Arnaud, and uh, please forgive me for taking so long to respond to your question. I received uh, your email back on, uh, looks like, September 10th, and I'm sorry for taking almost a month to respond, but uh, and the last month has just been crazy. But first of all, I just want to point out that your obedience shouldn't be to the church per se, but it should be to Jesus and Jesus only. But aside from that, really, I, I can't encourage you strongly enough to not join the Freemasons, to not join the Freemasons. They simply embrace some principles which are unacceptable for Christians to embrace. For example, uh, they will not allow a Freemason to pray in the name of Jesus because it might offend people who aren't Christians and who hear the prayer. But you won't find uh, the Bible teaching that we should be careful not to offend people with our faith, right? Uh, In fact, we know that the gospel is offensive to people. But uh, anyway, the, the Freemasons reject the idea that Christianity is the one true belief. In fact, Freemasons believe that all religions are true. It's a very uh, pluralistic uh, movement, cult. For the Freemasons, Christianity is just as true as Hinduism. And that's because, according to Freemasons, we simply do not and cannot know anything about God. For the Freemasons, God is so far above and beyond us that we can't know and we don't know anything about him. But let's think about that statement for just a moment. To say that we can't know anything about God is actually a self-defeating statement because by saying we can't know anything about God, a person is claiming to know something about God. They're claiming that we can't know anything about him. Well, how do you know that we can't know anything about him if... Anyway, you get the point. But, you know, further to say that all religions are basically the same, which is what Freemasonry teaches, uh, is just completely ridiculous. It's impossible to assert that there is one God, as Christianity and Islam and Judaism uh, claim, and also to assert that there are many gods, such as Hinduism believes. It's impossible for both of those to be true. One or the other has to be true, or they're both false. Uh, But, you know, it's impossible also to believe that salvation is only through faith in Jesus, which is the central doctrine of Christianity, and to also believe that that faith in Jesus is not necessary for salvation, which is what every other religion in the world, you know, basically teaches. So, in essence, Freemasonry denies the gospel completely and is based on just some downright ridiculous philosophy. Uh, I can't believe that that people would actually say we can't know anything about God. But uh, let's go ahead and move on. The the Freemason cult has also gone so far as to subtract and replace words in the Bible throughout Scripture. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, in our regular Bible, we read, uh, you know, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But the Masonic ritual takes out the words through Jesus Christ. So for the Freemasons, uh, I I also have to add that Jesus isn't God. Uh, Rather, Jesus is just a good moral teacher, uh, which is completely contrary to Scripture and to, 
you know, Christian thinking. And finally, one, one last point that I want to make is that Freemasons inherently deny the gospel by teaching that a person has to work their way into heaven. Jack Harris, who uh, who's no longer with the Freemasons, but at one time he was a worshipful master Mason, he teaches that, quote, in all the rituals that I taught for 11 years, Masonry did teach how to get to heaven. They taught that it was with the apron that I wore by my purity of life and conduct. Never at any Masonic ritual did they point out that Jesus is the way of salvation. End quote. Uh, Albert G. Mackey in the Revised Encyclopedia of Freemasonry writes, quote, All Masons unite in declaring it to be a system of morality by the practice of which its members may achieve their spiritual interest and mount by the theological ladder from the lodge on earth to the lodge in heaven. That is through morals. So the Bible, on the other hand, teaches that nobody is good enough to get into heaven on their own. We can't earn our way into heaven. We're not good enough. We can't be good enough, no matter how good we are. Our best is far from good enough to get into heaven. You know, works won't get you there. So there are several reasons that I would say that it's best just to stay as far away from the Freemason cult as possible. And yes, it is a cult because they deny so many uh, core elements of Christianity, yet they claim to be Uh, a type of Christian uh, denomination or what have you. But God bless you, Arnold, and thank you so much for the question. That's a a really good question and uh, something that is good for all of us to know, uh, just to be aware of the false teachings that are out there because we have to know, know what we're up against. So... Anyway, God bless you. Thank you so much for that question, and thank you guys so much for listening today. I do want to remind you guys that we're going to be starting a new series this coming Wednesday. We just finished up our series on the essentials, and our next series is going to be called Knowing God. And what we're going to be doing in this series is we're going to be going through and learning the attributes of God. And there are more than you can even imagine. I have no idea how long it's going to take us to get through all of them, but it is going to be a really good study. We're going to learn all about God his nature, uh, everything about it. It's going to be a really good study. So anyway, I hope you guys tune in on Wednesday and Monday. We'll be going through Romans, of course. But anyway, God bless you guys. Thank you so much for listening today. Hope you guys have a great weekend. I'll see you next time on BibleStudyPodcast.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus. This lesson has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org, a paraministry of Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries, which is a nonprofit listener-supported ministry based in Monroe, North Carolina. While our desire is that your primary giving be done with your local church, if the Lord is leading you to support our ministry, we do depend on your support to keep our ministry going and growing. If you feel the Lord calling you to support our ministry, you can go to BibleStudyPodcast.org and click on support on the right-hand side. You can make a tax-deductible donation from there. By doing so, you'll be helping us to reach multitudes of people each and every month from around the world who, just like yourself, desire to find answers and meaning in Scripture. We thank you for listening today, and we pray that the Lord blesses you and draws you closer to Him. Keep growing closer to Jesus.